there's a lot of bad things that are out there in our world. Let me just talk about a bad thing that's affected Southern Baptist churches. I don't know if you're aware, we are a Southern Baptist church. And um, the Houston Chronicle came out with a story this week that over the last 20 years, there have been 700 cases of sexual abuse in Southern Baptist churches. Uh, that's totally inexcusable. Uh, we, of course, have seen that in the Catholic Church, and it's clearly in the Southern Baptist Church as well. We are a denomination of some 16 million people. Uh, I believe 16,000 Southern Baptist churches on a given Sunday morning meet. But still, 700 is one too many uh, of sexual abuse. And I personally have a friend of mine that was sexually abused by a youth pastor in the Southern Baptist Church. And unfortunately, he encountered what a lot of folks did. He brought it to the church, and it was swept under the rug. And the youth pastor went on to another church, and it was not reported, and he served in another church. Uh, and uh, my friend ultimately brought litigation uh, against the church. I'm not always sure that uh, how everything came out, uh, but um, I know it happens. Uh, why is that, Jim? <clears throat> well, the bottom line, I don't care if you're a pastor or in the pew, we're all sinners. And at the end of the day, pastors, youth pastors, music ministers, deacons, elders, lay folks, all are sinners. And uh, just this week, it wasn't a Southern Baptist church, but a very famous pastor who has a national radio ministry to millions of people. I've listened to his radio shows several times. I actually heard him speak live a few months ago. was uh, forcibly fired from his church of 12,000 people uh, this week. And uh, I was reading the articles on that this morning. I don't know if there was uh, any sexual abuse, but there was certainly um, domination and misuse of funds going on. And, it's, uh, and again, thousands of people are affected by this. It's a mega church with uh, many church plants uh, as a re out of this church. And, you know, the bottom line is, folks, um, there is evil in this world. And the bottom line is, all of us in this room, including myself, are sinners. And all of us in this world are touched by evil, and all of us struggle with evil in this world. Now, when you look at the scriptures, we've been going through the book of Genesis because a lot of what we believe is in the book of Genesis. And, and so a lot of people might say, what do we believe? Well, a lot of it's rooted in Genesis. And Genesis, the writer of Genesis, which I believe was Moses, the writer of Genesis assumes there is a God. In the beginning, God. All right, the, the book of Genesis, in fact, the Bible doesn't try to argue for the existence of God. The Bible just assumes the existence of God. And we looked at that several weeks ago, why we believe God certainly is. Okay, and we, and we can go through all those arguments. You can always uh, listen to that sermon, look at it on Facebook. But I believe certainly there is a God. There's no other way I can explain this universe. But a big question is, okay, Jim, if you believe there is a God, then how can there be a God and so much evil? In fact, a lot of times folks that don't believe uh, feel like this is the silver bullet. How can God be good when there is so much evil in the world? And we try to find answers to evil, right? And I think that's a legitimate question. How can there be God when there is so much evil in the world? If, there was, if God was a loving God... Why does God allow evil? Well, first of all, 
that question, if you think about it, is a self-defeating question. Follow me just for a second. If you say, how can there be God when there is so much evil in the world? First of all, to assume that, to ask that question, you have to have the assumption that there is good in this world, right? If there is evil, then you have to assume that there is good. For there to be good, then there has to be a moral law, right? Something that differentiates between good and evil, right? To get there. If there is a moral law that how we can differentiate good and evil to even ask that question, then there has to be a moral law giver. Because if there is no moral law giver, then how do we have a moral law that helps us differentiate between good and evil? And how can we even ask the question? You all following me? We're drilling down, all right? So to even ask the question, how can there be evil if God is good? How can there be evil in the world? First of all, then, we have to have a moral law to be able to differentiate between good and evil, to even ask that question. To be able to differentiate between good and evil, there has to be a moral law giver. Because if there's no moral law giver, then there's no moral law. If there's no moral law, there's no such thing as good and evil. And the question is, what is the question? You all following me? It's a self-defeating question to even ask the question. And of course, I like to ask the flip side. Okay, how can God even allow good to be in the world? Because we're such an evil world. Why is there even good? People always say, why is there evil? I like to ask, why is there even good? But the reality is, we live in an evil world. And why do we even ask that question? Why, if you're watching this and you're, you're even asking that question. How can there be uh, evil in this world? Well, first of all, why do you even ask the question? Why do we ask that? Because there's a sense inside of us, even if you're an atheist, there's a sense that this ought not be this way. Even if you say there is no God, there's a sense that it ought not to be this way. That evil is somehow an aberration. aberration. That somehow th this shouldn't be this way. And if you watch Hollywood and, and, and pictures about the future, it's either totally bleak, we've just destroyed ourselves, or it's this utopian vision. And our politicians are constantly campaigning on a utopian vision, right? We're going to make the world better. It's going to be utopia because in our heart of hearts, we're like, this isn't how it ought to be. It needs, it ought to be different right that. But here's the question. What is evil? What is evil? Well, I try to use this uh, explanation. Maybe this will help you. So I have a piece of paper right here, solid beautiful, weird color of blue, okay, piece of paper. And this is our prayer list, okay, so be sure to get a prayer list out there, and you can't use this one in just a second. I'm just going to use this as an illustration. If I take this piece of paper and I cut a hole in it, we got a problem, right? This paper is marred. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that hole, does it consist of anything? No. What, what causes that hole to be in that paper? The absence of the paper, right? Because if the paper were there, we wouldn't have a hole, right? But we have this hole in our paper because the paper has been removed. Now, 
if I pick up this thing and say, let's look at our prayer request list, are you guys going to notice I have a hole in my prayer request list? Yeah, you are going to be like, hey, Jim, there's something wrong with the prayer request list. If I start writing down or making some notes, I'm going to fall off, okay, onto the table. Okay, so you obviously know that this has got a problem with it, all right? This is marred. This is not right. This is not the way this paper ought to be, right, because there's a hole in it. Now, let's assume that this was a very valuable piece of paper and it was worth $100 in pristine form. But now I got a hole in the middle of it. Does the value of this paper diminish? Definitely does. If it's worth $100, perfect condition, but now it's got a hole in it, the value of the paper is greatly diminished. So here's, here, here's why I want to use this illustration. Evil is not a person. Evil is not a thing. Evil is not a creation. Evil is the absence of what ought to be. It is the absence of what ought to be. For example, I'll give you another example. We have light and we have darkness. What makes darkness? What makes darkness? Well, if you look at the dictionary, the way the dictionary defines darkness, it just says darkness is the absence of light. Okay. If you look at the dictionary, it says that light is electromagnetic radiation of any wavelength that travels through the atmosphere at a hundred, uh, through a vacuum at 186,000 miles a second. Darkness is the absence of light. Light is electromagnetic radiation that travels, it moves, it's something, it's electromagnetic radiation that somehow your light can pick up. In other words, light is a thing. Darkness is the absence of that thing. Y'all following me? You can't shine darkness, but you can shine light. Evil is a lot of times, how, well, how do we portray evil in the movies and in books? As what? Light or darkness? Darkness. We portray evil as darkness because we're saying, and again, even the person that doesn't believe in God, but they're going to portray evil as darkness because they're saying, this is not how it ought to be. Something is missing here. There is a hole in the sweater. There's a hole in the piece of paper. Evil is an aberration of what ought to be. It's the absence of good. Now, here's another question, okay? So you all kind of follow me what evil is. It's not a person. It's not a thing. It's not created. It's simply the absence of what ought to be. Now, here's the question. Why is there evil? Well, did God create it? No, God didn't create evil because evil's not a person. Evil's not a thing. Now, here's another question. Does God allow evil to exist? And the answer is Yes. Where did evil come from? Well, it's simply just the absence of what ought to be there. So let, let, me, let me give you a big point this morning, and then we're going to kind of drill down. All right, because you ask yourself, how can God be good and allow evil to be in the world? Let me give you a reality. The reality is this. God created creatures with choice. We live... In a universe where we have choice. Take out your Bibles if you have them. First book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. 
Genesis chapter 1, and we're just going to skip through here a little bit as we've been going through Genesis. As you know, God has created the world. He's created Adam and Eve. We've talked about that. We've talked about how humans are different, how we're created in the image of God. We've talked about, uh, we, we answered some questions along the way, why are Christians pro-life? We talked about that. Last week we talked about why we believe in heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman. We talked about that. That's all rooted in Genesis. Today we're going to answer the question, how can God be good and there be so much evil in the world? And the reality is God created creatures with choice. Look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Here we go. So Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. Everything's beautiful. Everything's perfect. Everything's good. Now, here we go. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now, we'll just stop there. Before God created Adam and Eve, he created angels. All right, so we know that they were, he created angels. And by the way, angels, I told you all creatures God created with the ability to choose, angels also had the ability to choose. Now, angels were different because they were created in the very presence of God. They were there to worship God, but they had the ability to choose to worship God or to reject God. And if you know this story, and I think Isaiah 14 is an illustration of what that is, the chief angel, known as Lucifer, decided at some point, who knows, could have been millennial, could have been thousands or millions of years, I don't know how long angels have existed, but at some point, Lucifer, who was apparently the head angel, said, you know what? I think I would like to sit up there. I think I would like to sit up here. So it's the Lucifer who once was an angel that had this perfect paper. One day said, you know what? I think I would like to be there on the throne. You know, I think I can do God's thing. You know, I think I want to be worshipped. And there is the whole of what ought to have been in his heart of pure worship. Lucifer decided, I think I'll worship God. I'll, I'll be in God's place. Isaiah 14, you can read about it in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. He freely chose to reject God. And if you read the book of Revelation, we also know that a third of the angels also chose to fall. And to say, yeah, we went out too. We're going to follow Lucifer. We're going to follow Satan, as we know him. We're going to follow the devil. And of course, we know those angels as demons. They chose to reject the Creator. Again, now you say, well, Jim, 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 Jim. Why would God create angels with the ability to choose to reject Him? Why would God even create us with the ability to choose to reject Him? Let me tell you something. If you go to your spouse or whatever, friend, and put a gun to their head and say, tell me you love me. And they say, yes, I love you. You say, oh, thank you, you love me. You would say, you are a deranged dude, right? Because if somebody's got a gun to your head and tells you, tell me you love me, you're going to probably say, I love you. But do you really love them? No, you're going to think they're nuts, right? Because forced love is not love. If, 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 you know, God says, I'm going to force you to worship me. Is that true worship? No. It's not true worship. You're just doing it because you have to, right? It's like Hitler or Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody has to bow down or we're going to kill you. So people bow down. It's sick. 
It's not, for, it's not true worship. It's forced worship. It's not true love. It's forced love. If, if, if you're forced to obey, it's not true obedience. You're just doing it, right? So you don't have to get punished. Well, again, God knew that if he created, and he could have, God could have created angels with no ability to choose. He could have created humanity with no ability to choose. He could have done that. But he didn't. Why? Because forced love is not love. Forced worship is not true worship. Forced obedience is not true obedience. Let me, let me just give you this thought here. Evil is possible. It's possible because God created creatures with choice. God knew because he's omniscient. That when he created creatures with choice by giving us the ability to choose, he knew this would happen. You're like, well, why did he do it? Theologians debate that all the time. Why did God create the world? Why did he create angels with the ability to choose if he knew ultimately we would choose to reject him? I argue because it was the best of all possible worlds. To have creatures that would freely choose to love God, he knew he was going to create us with free choice. And he knew ultimately we would choose to reject him. He knew before he created the world that ultimately he would have to send his son to die on the cross. But here's the thing. Our God wants us to willfully love him from the heart. He wants us to willfully worship him. He wants us to want to obey him. As someone once said, the very same framework which allows free will to be exercised in acts of respect, courtesy, modesty, charity, and love also allows free will to be expressed in acts of hostility, greed, cruelty, and hate. If we can freely choose to love, we can also freely choose to hate. If we can freely choose to be courteous, courteous to somebody, we can freely choose not to be courteous. Right? You all get that? So, because God created creatures with the ability to choose, evil then became possible. So again, God created, at some point, Satan said, you know what, I don't think I want to do this anymore, and there was that hole that took place in his heart. Ripped out complete worship of God, and evil began, so to speak. So Satan, God creates Adam and Eve. Here it is, a brand new creation, brand new planet. This isn't up in heaven. This is like a whole new thing. Like God's like creates this whole universe and he creates these creatures and it's Adam and Eve and then all these animals and, and Satan's like, I want to be God. So look what Satan does. He makes a move. Look at the last part of verse uh, chapter one. He said, serpent, he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden. Now, I, a lot of people, and we're not going to go through all the minutiae of this passage, but, you know, it's kind of interesting. Eve doesn't seem to be freaked out that a snake was talking to her. I guess animals used to talk prior to the fall. All right? You say, well, I don't think that's possible. Well, we know that we had a talking donkey later in the Old Testament, right? Balaam. So... I don't know. She apparently wasn't really bothered by it. And, and again, you have to remember, this is pre-sin, so there's no poisonous snakes. You know, she probably had a boa restrictor around, whatever that thing is, around her neck. Said, look, beautiful necklace. That thing wasn't going to choke her head off, right? Prior to the fall, life was good. It was perfect. It was an innocent world. And so look at the question the snake asks, asks her. Does, did God really say 
Now, here's the thing. The very fact that Satan asked the question knew, he knew, showed that he knew that Adam and Eve also had free will. The very fact that he even asked the question shows that he knew that they had the ability to choose. You know, Jesus called Satan the father of lies. Here's what God had told them. The Lord God commanded the man, you are to free to eat of any garden of the tree. Sorry, you can't read it up there. He said, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you will certainly die. So God said, look, I'm, I'm giving you all the trees of the garden. Could have been hundreds. The fruit would have been incredibly good. By the way, Adam and Eve were vegetarians, believe it or not. Okay, so all the tree of the garden, anyone, hundreds of trees, who knows, but there's just one. I mean, God's, a, but again, why did he do that? Choice. Giving you choice. And to obey me, look at all the stuff you're going to have. To obey me, all, you got incredible things to choose. Uh, hundreds of trees, apple trees, fruit trees, all that stuff. Wonderful stuff. Just don't eat one. Just don't eat the one. So either obey me or you can choose to disobey me. And here's where evil starts, just like with Satan. Evil results when God's creatures choose to rebel against God. That's when the tear, that's when the hole in the heart starts. Look at verse 2, chapter 3. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it. Now she added a little bit extra there. Or you will die. Look at Satan. No, you will not die. Remember Jesus called him the father of lies. Here he goes. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, you have to remember, at this point, Adam and Eve were innocent. They, they, they had never experienced evil. They didn't know what sin was. They were purely innocent. And I'll tell you, rebellion, and here's the reason why they rebelled and why we do, because rebellion always looks enticing, right? Sin looks good. And quite frankly, sin is fun. You know, somebody said, if you're not having fun when you sin, you're doing it wrong. All right, now please don't go out and sin. But the reality is, sin is fun. Right? We look at it. We're like, yeah. I'll, I'll, we'll put it, maybe this isn't sin, but we're like, I know I shouldn't eat that fourth piece of chocolate pie, but man, that sure tastes good. Right? That's what we do. All right, we, 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 we know we shouldn't be doing that. We know we shouldn't be saying that. But hey, it looks so enticing. And so, again, rebellion against God always looks enticing. So Satan says, look, oh, no, God's just, he, he's the liar. No, 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 it's going to be good. And look at what happens, verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. And I'm sure it was beautiful and, and stuff. It was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. Again, rebellion against God always looks good. God, again, rebellion against God always makes it look like you're smarter than God is, okay? That you really get it and God doesn't. And rebellion against God is always appealing. So she took of its fruit and ate it and she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Verse 7, then both of, the eyes, uh, both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The whole. Evil. Evil was introduced into the world. Let me tell you about evil. Evil always results in pain. Evil always results in pain. You know, if you had a sweater... And you got a hole ripped in it. You maybe caught something. The snag didn't rip a hole in it. 
that sweater isn't as valuable as it used to be, right? And it's not going to be your favorite sweater anymore. Because when you walk out to the Arctic blast outside after church, that wind blows through that hole in that sweater. You're like, ooh, it's cold. You're going to go pick a sweater without the hole. Why? Because evil always brings pain. Let me give you some different things, and you know this, but evil results in emotional pain. When we allow sin in our lives, there's always emotional pain. If you go back to the text, it says they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. For the first time ever, Adam and Eve felt shame. They had never felt shame before in the garden. You know it as well as I do. When we allow evil to happen, when we invite sin into our lives, there's always shame. Shame in maybe what you did to somebody else. Or shame what you did with somebody else. Or that sense of shame that you didn't do what you ought to have done. We all, if we all sat here, we could all tell stories, every one of us, of things in our life that we're ashamed of, right? We're all sinners. Because we all know that. Evil brings emotional pain. And when you're caught by friends or family or exposed by God's word, there's shame. Premarital sex brings a sense of shame. Adultery brings shame. Gossip brings shame. Lying brings shame. Now, like eating of any fruit, like the eating of the fruit, it may not initially bring shame. I mean, some people like it. Maybe you're, you're, you're doing something right now that you know you ought not to do. It's sin. The Holy Spirit's convicting you of like, but you're like, nobody knows. You're good. But I'm telling you at some point, it's going to hit the fan. And when it does, there's going to be tremendous, tremendous shame. And so God pronounces a sentence on Adam and Eve. If you go down to verse 16, we'll look at the last part. God tells Eve, we'll get to all the sentencing here, but he tells Eve, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Let, you know, let me just tell you, the emotional pain for Eve was this whole husband-wife thing. All right, now we live in a supercharged society today, all right? But I'm just going to speak honestly, and ladies, you are a wonderful creation by God. We love you. But I think, if I understand this, there is a desire in ladies to rule over the men. And then there's this man desire, and there's this tension. Some of y'all are smiling, so I think I'm good, okay? Either that or I'm dead. All right. But there is a desire in ladies to want to rule over their husband. You dumb idiot. And there is this, and I think that's what God's saying. You know what, Eve? Man, you guys are going to go at it. You're going to want to rule over him. And, and you know, but I've made him stronger physically. And there's just going to be this tension. And there's going to be some emotional pain you're going to deal with. Now, that doesn't mean that the guy's going to be getting off scot-free either, because now he's got the emotional pain too, because there's going to be that tension. Also, evil results in physical pain. We know that. Evil results in physical pain. Look at verse 16, the first part. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. In your labor pains, you'll bear children in anguish. All right, again. Now, God told them, be fruitful and multiply. 
I don't know if Adam and Eve had any children prior to this point. I don't think they did. But it was certainly going to be when you have children, it's going to be painful. It's going to be a very painful, difficult experience. You're going to want a desire to have children. But at the same time, you're going to go through great pain having those children. That's going to be physical pain. Look at verse 17. He's, and he said to Adam, Adam doesn't get off scot-free. Because you listened to your wife's voice and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all of your life. Painful labor. Look at the next part. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat the bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. Okay, Adam. That hole, it's going to cause you some physical pain. Plants aren't going to grow that easy anymore. There's going to be thorns. You're going to get cut. You're going to get pricked. You're going to bleed. You're going to get calluses. It's going to be hard. You're going to toil hard. And sometimes you're not going to get anything or very little. It's going to be painful. We all know that, right? Evil results in pain. Physical pain. Also, evil results in spiritual pain. Look at verse 22. The Lord God said, since man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, and eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. You know, prior to this, Adam and Eve had communion with God. Apparently God walked in the garden at the cool of the day, so to speak, and there was completely unhindered relationship between Adam and Eve and God. Wow, wouldn't that, wow. But you know, you and I can experience that too. When you're walking with the Lord and when you're walking in obedience, it's incredible. But when you allow that evil to take root in your heart by rebelling against God, you know that feeling, don't you? Your prayers seem like they hit the ceiling and bounce back. You don't feel like you're close to God. When you read the Word of God, it just seems like nothing's there. Why? Because evil results in spiritual pain. Evil results in physical pain. Evil results in emotional pain. Why is there evil if God is so good? Because God created human creatures with free choice. And we freely chose to rebel against God. And so we created the whole by choosing against Him. And lastly, evil results in God's judgment. And you can go through the text and see the judgment. Painful childbirth, tension between men and women, painful survival, expelled from the Garden of Eden. The earth was cursed. Think about all the tornadoes and floods and earthquakes and the tsunamis and the hurricanes. You know, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the earth is groaning now until the time of redemption. The earth is groaning the earth is cursed. We live in tension in our culture. Survival is difficult on our planet. And again, there's that pain that we experience in rebelling against God. So, here's the deal. What is evil? It is the absence of what ought to be. What is? Why did God allow for evil? Because he created us with free will. Why did he do that? So we could freely choose to love him. 
When does evil occur? When you and I rebel against God. When we say, God, I don't want your way. I'm going to do it my way. That's when it occurs in our heart. Now, again, so that's why God can be good and there's so much evil. It's not God's fault. He gave us the ability and we chose to say, I don't want you. I don't want you. Does that make sense? Now, if you're like Jim. All right. So God who knows everything, beginning to end, knew when he created us with free will that we would choose at some point to freely rebel against him. And he did that because he wanted us to freely choose also to love him, but he knew that that was going to be something we were going to do. Could he have just not chosen not to have created us? Yeah. God could have said, I mean, who knows, you know, he created the angels, but God's always been. Let that blow your mind, okay? Like, he's never not been. Okay? So, yeah, God, eh, I'm not going to create anything. I mean, he had perfect communion. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect communion. There was nothing in God that was missing. He could have chosen not to create anything. Of course, if he did, we wouldn't be having this conversation, would we? All right? So, obviously, he chose to create us. He could have chosen not to have given us free will, and we would just be all robots. Yes, I love you, God. I love you, God. I love you, God. I worship you. I obey you. But that's not love. He knew we would rebel against him, but he created us anyways. Rebellion against God is called sin. But here's how crazy God is about us. Here's what Jesus said in John 3, 17. He's speaking about himself. This is how crazy God is about us. Crazy love. For God did not send his son into this world. Because God said, you know what? I'm going to send my son to those people who've rebelled willfully against me. He didn't send his son into this world that, we might that he might judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's how crazy God is for us. He said, I'm going to send my son. So that through him, my son, the world could be saved. Verse before, Jesus said that God so loved the world. That's everybody. Everybody. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes would not perish, but have everlasting life. You know why we gather on Sunday morning? Because it's quite frankly just unbelievable that God did what he did. Because look, he's God. He could have said, you guys, I'm done and just let us sail out in the universe and eventually we'd have, you know, blew ourselves up. God could have said, forget it. You know. Psh. But God in his infinite mercy said, if this is, I want true love, I'm going to give them true choice. I know they're going to freely choose to rebel against me. And we saw that right there in the Garden of Eden. He knew it was going to happen. So I'm going to send my son to pay their penalty against me. I'm going to send my son so that my justice can be satisfied. So that whoever calls on my name will be saved. Whoever says, okay God, I see the darkness in my heart. I see that I am... I have evil in my life. I see that I have sinned. I see that hole in my heart. Please, I believe Christ died for my sins. Please save me. And just as Vernon shared the story of the lady in the hotel room, 
when she responded to the light of Christ as it was shining in the darkness of her heart, when she responded to that, suddenly life was different. She went on stage. It's like, why is it so dark in here? Because before she didn't see the light. Now she did. And God is crazy in love with us that he would send his son to die for us. Now here's a question. First of all, if you're watching on Facebook, wherever, God loves you so much that he sent his son. What you have to do in, the, in this room, if, you, if you've never done this and I have to do, you have to make a choice. Are you going to love evil or are you going to love God? Are you going to love your sin or are you going to love God? Are you going to say, God, I choose you. I want Christ to save me. Save myself. Save me from my sin. Are you going to choose that or are you going to say, no, I want my evil. I want that hole in my heart. It's a choice. God's, God's a gentleman. He's not going to force you. Because he wants you to freely choose him. And maybe you're watching online or maybe even this room. And you know that Christ isn't your savior. And you felt that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Look, he is so crazy in love with you. He's given you the way. Bow your knee and respond to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, first of all, that you've given us life, all of us on this planet. Life comes from you. I thank you that you've given us free choice, that we're not robots. I thank you that even though you knew we would choose to rebel and create that hole in our hearts, that you willfully chose your son, sent your son to die for our sins so that that hole in our heart could be filled with your light. I pray maybe there's somebody in this room, maybe they've been in church all their life, but they've never come to grips with their own sinfulness. I pray right now that in the seat they're sitting in, they'll say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I know I've been rebelling against you. I know I've never put my faith and trust in you and you alone. And right now, I want to put my faith and trust in you. I'm going to do it. I trust you. Save me. Deliver me from my sin. I want to turn from it. Maybe there's somebody, Lord, watching on Facebook, on the internet. Right now, I just pray that they'll bow their knee to you and say, I'm tired of running. I want Savior Jesus Christ. I'm going to accept his free gift of salvation. Lord, I pray that somebody will respond to you today, to your offer of salvation. And Lord, I take comfort that even though we are in this evil world, and even though all of us in this room are sinners, that, Father, we know that you provided a way for us to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I thank you so much that this isn't the final world. That for those of us who have received your gift of eternal life, that we have heaven and a world which sin will never be present again. The choice will have been made. There is no going back. That we will be in glory and eternity with you. And we'll never, ever, ever be in a world filled with evil again.
I know that that is such a blessing and that I know there's our world is craving for that and if they would just respond to your gift they would see it again Lord I pray for somebody here watching online who hasn't done hasn't responded they will right now because their eyes will be opened thank you for meeting with us this morning and it's in your name we pray amen